Man, I really jinxed it. Now it's two Sundays in a row. For <laughs> You know, that's the, that song just captures part of what I've been, part of what I've like put some of the music together for this this morning. It's laser focused on coming to Christ and wanting to see His face, and just us being tired of coasting. And it's like, aren't you, aren't you just like tired of like mediocre Christianity? And just like you're ready to do it. Like, what's it really like? What's that next level of love feel like? What does that next step walking with Jesus look like? And just get hungry for that and desperate for that. And just get over all the little petty stuff that we let hold us back. And a song like that helps us to, to not only lift our eyes up, but to lift them forward and to see out there what's waiting for us, the inheritance that we have, what we're looking forward to, and to see how wonderful it is, and to love it and thrill over it and just let it satisfy us and like break our hearts and get us hungry and ready and desperate to be there. And just to let that reframe how we're going through our circumstances right now, and let it change how we do church, and let it change how we're how we treat our spouse and how we treat our kids and how we interact with our coworkers and how we treat people at church and just let it just transform us. We just need to get, get more of Him, get more of Him in us and be desperate for more of Him and hungry for more of Him and we, then we can get to that next level. But until we hit that rock bottom where we get sick of where we are and being stuck, we won't go forward. We'll just be content to coast. And the enemy wants to keep you right there. Content with just enough, just enough to get by, just enough not to be sinning too bad, too much. And part of what this series is about is to help us take those specific, practical steps to get beyond business as usual and start being the church that God calls us to be. Because in that context, we will see and experience more of Christ than you can imagine more than you ever thought you could at the Forks. <laughs> and I feel like part of why I'm here, and part of why God wants me here, is so that you and I together can go there. Not because I'm anything special, but I want to get out of the way. Lord, let me decrease and you increase. But if you could just open my mouth and help me say what you want to say to your people, here I am. That's where I am today. That's sermon number one. Okay. So, guys, take your Bibles with me and open up to our scripture reading for our sermon this morning, Ephesians chapter 4, as we continue our one another series. Ephesians 4, we're going to read together verses 1 through 6. I'll invite you to please stand as we read Holy Scripture. This is God's holy word. For you and I, for us, his people. Ephesians 4, 1 to 6. Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. 
There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. This is God's holy word. Father, we ask that you would come now and send your Holy Spirit to do what only he can do. To take this word that he inspired and to inscribe it upon our hearts. To write it in our very souls today. To make it a reality in our hearts and minds and wills and in our lives. And we pray that through this word, you would show us more of your Savior. More of your Son, our Savior. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Guys, last week we began looking at the third and final section of the ten one another commandments. Now remember, the first section consists of those first two one another's. Love one another and be at peace with one another. And these are the foundation of all the rest. Everything else is really just the ongoing application of love and be at peace. So we've, we've come a long way. This is number eight. It's the ninth sermon in the series. It's the eighth one another commandment. And we've come a long way. We've covered a lot of stuff. But if you think about it, we've never actually stopped talking about that very first one. Love one another. Everything else we've talked about is really what does that love look and feel like in a very practical, specific way? What does it mean to love one another and be at peace with one another? in all these different variety of ways, in all these different circumstances. We've never actually left those first two behind. They're foundational to everything. Everything else flows out of those. The second section consists of the four one another's that tell us what our positive actions for each other should be in the church. Welcome one another, encourage, honor, and serve one another. And then last week we began the third and final section, which consists of the last four one another's, and these tell us how to address and how to deal with all the negative actions that we do to each other in the church. We spent a long time in last week's sermon, much longer than usual. Somebody said, uh, so is this what you've been planning? building up to preaching for an hour and you're just going to stay there forever? No, 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 no. Nope. Nope. Sigh of relief. Say an amen. That was not typical. There was just a whole lot that needed to be said on that very first one another. That seventh one another commandment, admonish one another. And the reason is because this is one of the weakest areas of the Christian life for most Christians and most churches. We are not good at addressing problems in a biblical and healthy way. Most of us stink at it in our relationships and that just carries right over into the church. So I spent a long time last week trying to lay out for us 
a multi-step plan or strategy for all of us to practice together. We have got to be able to address our problems in the church. It will do nobody any good to ignore them, pretend they don't exist, act like everybody's perfect, put everybody on a pedestal, sweep stuff under the rug. It just will fester and then it will just boil over and come out in all sort of twisted, nasty ways. In ways you couldn't have predicted. We've got to be able to address our problems and we have got to be able to hold each other accountable and tell each other the truth. Most of all, we must be able not just to give, but also to receive admonition in a way that doesn't cost us our relationships or ruin our fellowship or split our church. If you do it the right way, none of that will happen. Do it the wrong way, and the enemy will have a field day. That's why the Bible gives us lots of practical advice, and that's why it took a long time last week to lay some of that out. Last week was very important. And last week's topic of admonishing each other leads naturally into this week's. The eighth one another commandment this morning is bear with one another. Or I could have titled it put up with each other. <laughs> the question is, what happens next if admonition doesn't seem to be working? Or isn't working as quickly as you would like? Because we can go to each other and do the admonitions and then if we have in our heads, all I got to do is speak up and do a gentle reproof or maybe it's a more contentious circumstance and it needs a little bit of a rebuke, a little bit of a harder, more firm touch and then poof, all the problems are gone. Say something one time and then everybody's perfect. Oh, brother, you're sinning. Oh, you're right. <laughs> what happens if you admonish somebody and they're like, take a hike? Get lost. Who are you to tell me? Butt out. Live your own Christian life. Don't bug me about mine. Get out of here. Or, yeah, 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 I know. You're right, you're right, you're right. But, you know, don't pick on me. I, I'm aware of that. You're embarrassing me. Leave me alone. I'll deal with it. And then they never do. What happens when we admonish each other and it's not working? Or not working as quickly? What do you do with people in your church that you just can't seem to get along with or that just have a personality that just ooh, <laughs> rubs you the wrong way they're not a bad guy not a bad girl but just something about maybe their sense of humor maybe they're just, I don't know but something about that guy oh I don't I just mm -mm, I'd rather not be around him what do you do with people like that what about that man or woman who annoys you every time you're around them even if they aren't trying to be annoying if we look hard enough or long enough we will always find something to complain about something to get irritated over something to be upset about 
whether it's other people or a committee or the session or a particular ministry or some policy we have or some program we're not doing the way you think it should be done or something we do in worship you'd rather we didn't do. It's easy. It's so easy to look at all the people and all the leaders and all the decisions that are made and gripe and complain and be dissatisfied and then offer nothing but criticisms instead of offering to be part of the solution. Well, I think you should start this ministry. Okay, well, go ahead. Get, get, get going. Oh, no, I'm not going to do it. You, you need to do it. This one another commandment is vital to the health and flourishing of the church. God is well aware that his people are like this. It is no shock to him that all his churches struggle with these sorts of issues. These are normal. That's why God has given us directions in his word that tells us how to deal with our difficulties and our differences in the body of Christ. Now, under this commandment to bear with one another, there are three points for us to consider today. Do not wrong, do not repay, and then cultivate the virtues of patience. Now, as we begin looking at point one, notice how Paul frames the discussion in our passage in Ephesians 4. Bearing with one another is mentioned in verse 2. But notice what surrounds it in verses 1 and then in verses 4 through 6. In verse 1 he says, I therefore a prisoner for the Lord urge you or exhort you, exhortation was part of that commandment to encourage one another, I exhort or I encourage you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Walk in a manner worthy of your calling. It means something to be called a Christian. It's not a light thing to carry the name of Christ. You know, the, in the original Ten Commandments, the one I didn't make up, the, the original Ten Commandments, in the Old Testament, it says, you shall not take the name of the Lord in vain. And that word take is the same thing in Hebrew, the same word you would use if you said here, Take these groceries into the house. Take this bucket of water over there in the garden. It means to carry it. Pick something up and carry it. Take it in that way. You shall not carry the name of the Lord in vain. Don't take that name with you in vain. Paul isn't saying that you should live in a way that deserves your calling. He's saying live the way your calling deserves. You and I are unworthy of that name. But the name of Christ is most worthy. 
And you have taken that precious holy name upon yourself when you call yourself Christian. You have been called by a worthy name. Therefore, live in a worthy manner as that holy name deserves. That's what he's saying in verse 1. So what does that look like? It looks like lots of things, but in this passage, in Ephesians 4, it looks like bearing with one another. In verse 2, we walk in a manner worthy of the name of Christ, worthy of our calling, when we learn how to put up with each other in love. The way Christ puts up with us. God has called you, Christian, by His grace and Spirit. He has forgiven you of all your sins. He has changed you into a new creature. He has made you a disciple of Jesus so that you can learn a whole new way of life, a whole new way of being a human being, the Jesus way. One of the results of that new way of life, following Jesus, is that you get along with, you bear with one another in love like Jesus. So that's before bear with one another in verse 1. Now look what comes after it in verses 4 through 6. Paul says there's one body and one spirit just as you were called. Uh, in Just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who's over all and through all and in all. Paul reminds us in these verses that we are not just called individually as Christians. You, singular, walk in a manner worthy of your calling. No, it's plural. All of you walk together in a manner worthy of your calling. We're not called to walk alone in a worthy manner. Rather, we're called into a body that unites us all together as one. Paul says we are all members of the same body. We all share the same Holy Spirit. We are all called to the same hope. We all have the same Lord. We've all believed the same faith. We've all received the same baptism. We're all children of the exact same God. These magnificent realities ought to be what dominates our minds, our hearts, our words, our decisions. God has done everything to reconcile us all to Him and to one another despite all our sinning against Him. And now you are called as a Christian to go and do likewise with your fellow believers right here at the Forks. This means we are called to bear with one another. So, what does it mean to bear with one another? And here we get to the meat of point one. First, it means we do not wrong one another. Do not wrong one another. No matter how irritated, no matter how aggravated, annoyed, disgruntled, upset, or distressed you get about other people or the way something is being done in the church, God commands us not to let our frustration or anger become an excuse that justifies wrong behavior or that justifies bad attitudes 
and running our mouths. We are to be tolerant. We are to be understanding. We are to be long-suffering. To maintain our composure. To keep a cool head. To keep our emotions in check. And to maintain our love and our unity. Scripture commands us not to wrong one another multiple times across the Scriptures. Multiple times this is brought up. And I'll, I'll just read to you a couple of these. In Leviticus 19.11, it says, uh, You shall not steal. You shall not deal falsely. You shall not lie to one another. So we're not going to steal from each other. We're not going to deal falsely with each other. And we're not going to lie to each other. This is part of last week where it says, speaking the truth in love. Speak the truth to your neighbor. Don't lie to each other. Be truthful with each other. Leviticus 25.17 You shall not wrong one another, but instead you shall fear your God, for I am the Lord your God. When we are wronging each other, we've ceased to walk in the fear of the Lord. We have no fear of God before our eyes when we feel like it's okay to wrong each other. But when we're walking in the fear of the Lord, we will be careful not to wrong each other. The two go hand in hand. Fearing the Lord isn't just some private, inward emotion that I feel. Fear of the Lord is visible. It looks like something. And one of the things it looks like is that we're bearing with one another. We're not wronging each other. We're not lying to each other. We're not stealing and being false with each other. Zechariah 8.17 Do not devise evil in your hearts against one another. See, as long as it's just not lying and, and not doing outward wrong things to each other, we can just be good Pharisees and say, Aha, we've kept the law. I'm not doing any of that. Ah, but now Zechariah says, Check your heart. Check your heart. Do not devise evil in your hearts against one another. For all these things I hate, declares the Lord. God hates when His people devise evil in their hearts against one another. And if we're walking with Him, we will feel the way He does about wronging each other. We will hate it too. We will fear Him and hate what He hates and love what He loves. And He hates it when we don't bear with each other and when we wrong each other. Another one, Malachi chapter 2, verse 10. This, I think this is where Paul was getting what, he, what we just read in Ephesians 4. I think he got it from Malachi 2.10. Listen to it. Have we not all one Father? <laughs> one God and Father of all. Have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? Aren't we all creatures of the same God? Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? Read that five or six times this week and it just kept hitting me. Like, we're profaning the covenant we've made with God. When we are faithless, unfaithful to each other. 
we profane the new covenant that Christ purchased with his blood. That's the Old Testament. New Testament, Ephesians 4, 26 and 27. Be angry, it says. It doesn't say don't get angry. It says be angry. It's okay to get angry. Be angry and do not sin. We cannot always help getting angry. Sometimes it just, there it is. Somebody says something, ooh, there it is. Boom, the emotion's on us. It's just, an, it's just an involuntary impression we get. Something comes across a certain way, something's said or done, it comes at us in a, ooh, what do you mean by that? Why did you do that? And it just lands on us in a certain way and we get angry. Whether or not we feel that emotion isn't up to us. Those impressions will come to us. But what you do next with that emotion is entirely up to you. It's entirely up to you. When the anger comes, do not sin, Paul says. Be angry, but don't sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Don't go to bed angry, Paul says. That is, don't get mad in the morning and stay mad all day and let the sun go down and still be in a rut. Paul says, deal with your anger. Don't let the sun go down before you've dealt with that anger. And then he says, and give no opportunity to the devil. Oh, your enemy, Christian, loves it when you get all bent out of shape over something and you just sit and you just dwell on it. Ooh, that person did this and said this and did that and said this and did that and said this and said it and did it. And, ooh, and I'm going to do this and I should have said this and I'm going to do that. Next time I see him, I'm going to do this. And we do that. We just sit and we just go over it and then we talk about it with somebody else and then someone else is like, oh yeah, you should have done Oh, I can't believe that guy. And then you just, then you get mad together and oh, you just relive it over and over and over again. And we just let it fester. We, we let the sun go down on that anger. We go to bed mad. We get up and we're thinking about it. And it, if we're not careful and it just keeps on going, Paul says, don't you give an opportunity to the devil. The enemy loves that that side of us that just wants to do that. We leave the door wide open for him to just come right in and wrap us up in bondage and make us his plaything and keep us right there, chained up, defeated, useless in the master's hands. Do not give an opportunity to the devil. When we don't bear with each other, when we don't deal with anger that will inevitably come over being wronged, we give an opportunity to the devil. That's why Paul goes on in Ephesians 4 and he says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Get it out. Get all of that out, he says. Deal with it. Don't give the devil an opportunity. Last one I'll, I'll mention. There's a lot of these. I'll just mention one more. James 4, 11 to 12. He says, Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. Do not speak evil against each other. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law, God's law, and judges God's law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. So you get to sit behind the bench and pronounce, you're breaking God's law and you're sinning and you're messing up and you're doing wrong. Oh, don't, don't look at me. I'm, I'm the judge. I'm behind the desk. I'll make the, I'll make the calls here. You're down there. 
He says, as soon as you put yourself behind the bench and start whacking the gavel on people's heads, you're no longer a doer of the law. You're pretending to be the judge of the law. And you don't belong there. Only God does. James 4.12, there is only one lawgiver and one judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Do not wrong each other. The first way we bear with one another is by resolving deep within ourselves that no matter what problems, issues, frustrations I have, I will not wrong my brother or sister in Christ. I will walk worthy of that name. I will act like calling myself a Christian means something. I will live in peace and love. I will encourage and admonish. And I will not wrong my neighbor. And I will not rationalize and justify my sin based on my anger and my hurt feelings. Christ deserves better. And I will be obedient, and I will bear with my fellow believers flaws and faults and failures, just like Jesus bears with me, and just like, please God, I hope everyone else bears with my faults and flaws and failures, which are legion. That's where we got to go. If all of us would just take the posture, I am the biggest sinner in the church, me. I'm the problem, me. I sin more than everybody else. It's me. I need more grace than everybody. So I'm going to give more grace to everybody. If we just would start there instead of getting up on the high horse and being a judge of the law, this would come easier for us. To resolve in our minds, we are not going to wrong each other. That's where it starts. That's the first thing, bear with one another means. Do not wrong each other. Second thing it means is point two. Bear with one another means do not repay evil for evil. Point one says do not be the one who initiates wrongdoing even if you have a problem with someone or a personality clash or if you have an issue with the church you're not going to be the one who takes that first step and wrongs somebody. You're not going to initiate wrongdoing. But what if someone else disobeys point one and wrongs you first? Sins against you first. Then what? Well, the same point applies. Point two is a specific application of point one. If someone sins against you, the command to bear with one another means God forbids retaliation. God forbids retaliation. The Bible is very clear that Christians must not be vengeful. We must not seek revenge. <laughs> now, we all agree with that when someone else has been wronged. Oh, brother, you really shouldn't get all been out of shape. They probably meant well and... I mean, no, take care of that anger. Don't, don't seek revenge. You know, be, bear, bear, bear with them. Bear with, bear with your brother. We're, we, we all agree that that's what we should do when someone else has been wronged and we're trying to help them through it. 
But that all goes out the window, doesn't it? When all of a sudden, we are the ones who have been wronged. Because then we say things like this. Well, if you knew what she said, dot, dot, dot. Or if this had happened to you, or you just don't know what I've been through. You just don't get what I've had to put up with already. You know what all those lines really mean? They mean, if you were in my shoes, you would agree that my disobedience of God is justified. If you just sat where I've been sitting, then you would agree that my sin is okay with Jesus this time. We are, by nature, vengeful creatures. It is our fallen nature's first instinct to retaliate, to strike back, to get even, to declare war, to go nuclear, to become an enemy, to get hostile, to repay evil for evil. Bear with one another means we must resist that fallen instinct It means when others wrong us and sin against us, we respond like Jesus, who endured all of our sins but never sinned in return. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 21 to 23. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. What's that example? He committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. That's our example. That's what we've been called to follow. What we've been called to do when we're wronged is to be like Jesus. The Bible tells us over and over and over not to repay evil for evil. Romans twelve seventeen: Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. We talked about that few weeks ago. Honor one another means don't repay evil for evil even when you're sinned against. Think about how to honor that person who sinned against you. I guarantee you guys if someone wrongs you and sins against you and just rubs you all kinds of the wrong way if your first thought is how can I love this person? What's the quickest path to forgiving this person? How can I do good to this person? How can I get on my knees and pray for their family, for their job, for their finances, for their spiritual life? How can I pray that they will be ten times the Christian I am? What can I do to meet their needs? How can I go out of my way for that person? How, 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 Lord? Can I be there for that person? Even when they've just sinned hard against you. If your first thought is to go to that place of, how can I be like Jesus? How can I love if you start praying for that person and doing good for that person and meeting needs for that person who sinned against you and wronged you, 
you will not stay angry at that person. You will get the heart of Jesus in you so quick. The Holy Spirit will come, will come alongside you and will help you. Not to repay evil for evil, but to give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Paul goes on in Romans 12, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. Even if that person never repents, never says I'm sorry, never changes, and nothing ever gets better about it. And maybe the relationship just ends up going separate ways. Not because of you, but because of that person. At the end of the day, you are not to avenge yourself, but to let God deal with it. It's between that person and God. God will see to it. God's the judge, not me. Leave it to the wrath of God. Because God says, vengeance is mine, I will repay. Paul says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. When the evil comes at you, you come at it twice as hard with good. With good. This is not natural to us. This is not easy. This is not fun. This doesn't feel rewarding. I want to be right. I want to get even. We have to fight this battle constantly. Constantly. One more verse on this point. 1 Corinthians 6, 7 and 8. Paul is dealing with Christians in Corinth who have sued each other and gone to court over something in the church. He says, to have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. You've already lost. If you guys are going to court over with each other and suing each other, you're, you're done. You've already lost the battle. Satan's already won that one. And then Paul says this, instead of suing each other, why not just suffer wrong? <laughs> Someone stole your stuff? Someone damaged your property, don't want to pay it back? Why not just suffer wrong, Paul says. <laughs> he wasn't a good American. Why not just suffer wrong? He says, why not rather be defrauded? Just be defrauded and love and do good and offer him more. But you yourselves wrong and defraud even your own brothers, he says. Paul's attitude is, just suffer the wrong. Someone's defrauding you? Just, all right, so be defrauded. It's amazing, Paul's attitude. Where does that come from? It comes from being so satisfied in Christ that we can say like Martin Luther, let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also, the body they may kill, his truth abideth still, his kingdom is forever, bring it on. That's where it comes from. First Peter 3, 9. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you are called, that you may obtain a blessing. Back to that walking worthy of your call. To this you were called. To when you get sinned against, you bless. You bless. Bear with one another means do not wrong each other and... Do not repay evil for evil. And our final point to consider is this. How on earth 
do I grow in my ability to bear with one another? Where am I going to get the resources to do this? And the answer is, cultivate the virtues of patience. And now notice that word virtues is plural. The virtues of patience. Patience is a virtue, but it doesn't exist alone. Patience requires other virtues to come alongside it and support it and hold it up. If you just try to be patient all by itself, it's never going to work. It's never going to work. So look back at our text. Ephesians 4, verse 2. Patience is surrounded in this verse by other Christian virtues. Look what it says. He says in verse 1, to walk worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Verse 2, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, there's patience. In verse 3, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Those surrounding, supporting virtues are what we use to bear with one another. Those surrounding virtues, Paul says, are humility. They are gentleness, love, and eagerness for unity and peace. And if we cultivate those, work on our humility, work on our gentleness, build ourselves up in love, be eager for unity and for peace... If that's where we are, patience, that's the soil that patience just naturally grows and blooms in. Because patience is a fruit of the Spirit. And you've got to plant that seed in some good soil somewhere. And then, cultivating that soil, as Paul says, sowing to the Spirit, not sowing to your flesh. Then we will reap a harvest of righteousness. As we aim to constantly cultivate the virtues and are diligent to live them out as the daily habit of our lives together, our patience will come more and more naturally. And we will be able, with the help of the Holy Spirit to be sure, that we will be able to bear with one another as God commands. And we will certainly need God's help because our old nature will fight us tooth and nail on this. And scripture points us to the Lord as the source of our patience. Like I said, patience is a fruit of the Spirit, but it's not all by itself in that list. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, then patience, then kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. All those have to bloom together. Patience doesn't grow in that garden all by itself. It comes with all these other surrounding and supporting virtues that enable us to bear with one another and to be long-suffering. I love this, this passage in Colossians 1. Colossians 1, 9-11. Listen to what Paul says. He says, and so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled. Now listen to what he prays for. Asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Now we're back to walk in a worthy way of your calling. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him 
bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. He's praying for a lot of stuff. And then verse 11, being strengthened with all power. Think about how much power God has. The God who spoke universes into existence, who upholds everything by the word of his power, he's infinite and omnipotent in his might and power. Think of how much power God has. Paul is saying, I'm praying for you guys that you would be strengthened with all that infinite, almighty power according to his glorious might. What for? <laughs> for all endurance and patience with joy. I love that. It's going to take all of God's infinite, eternal power just to help you be patient with each other. <laughs> That's how you know the Bible is inspired. Because it knows human nature so well. We are going to need all of God's power working in us mightily just so we can endure each other, bear with one another, and be patient with each other with joy. The good news is, Paul doesn't, Paul's praying for it because he knows it's God's gift to his people. And he will give it if we will ask him for it. If we will lean into this and pray for it, he will give it to us. So let me close this morning with this exhortation that Paul gives later in the letter to Colossians. He says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. We are God's elect. If we belong to Christ, if we're saved, we are the elect of God, His chosen people. And one of the things he chose us for is to be saved forever, hallelujah. But another thing he chose us for on the way to being saved forever, hallelujah, is being patient and humble and kind and compassionate and bearing with one another. If we learn how to admonish one another like we talked about last week, if we learn how to admonish one another and stay friends instead of getting offended, and if we learn to be patient and bear with one another, you will be blown away, Christian, at how deep and how strong this church will become. And you will be amazed at how strong and satisfying your walk with Christ will be. It won't be easy, but it will be worthy of His name. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much that you've given us these amazing, powerful promises that you will give us everything we need, all your power, all your glorious might, all of your faithfulness to keep us walking on the narrow way, to keep us united to Christ, to keep us walking in faith, to keep us rooted and grounded in the gospel but then to actually give us the Holy Spirit to bear His good, delicious, satisfying fruit in our lives. And I pray that you would help us to cultivate all of these other virtues that we've been talking about in one way or another through this one another series. That as we lean into these things and we pray for your help and your mercy and your grace to help us be like Jesus and walk worthy of His call, 
that you would indeed do a mighty work in each of us. Let it start with me as, as a pastor, as a husband, as a man, as a friend, as a fellow brother in this church. Let it start with me. Let us, let us start then with the elders and the deacons, the trustees, the committee members, the volunteers, all the wonderful servants and saints that we have who lead and guide and serve and direct in a hundred different ways. Let us start with us to lead the way. And may it trickle on down to each and every one of us. And then may a mighty change, a reformation happen in our church and in our surrounding community. And let it start with the forks. Change us, we pray. Help us to bear with one another. To not let the sun go down on our wrath. But to resolve we're going to walk like you call us to walk. We pray like Paul. Give us your strength. Do a mighty work in us. And may we give you all the glory and praise. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.